This is Dan Matthews, Digital Services Librarian. This is Tish Hayes, Information Literacy Librarian. I am Jahan, Queen of Acquisitions. This is Dr. Amani Wazwaz. And you're listening to MVCCPOV. Voices from the Valley. Peace. been uh, changing my curriculum you're definitely right because right now in african-american literature where i used to stress call and response before now i stress it even more a whole lot more i stress it in the literature i i call my students to see it for example in james baldwin's uh sunny's blues sunny and the main character, Sonny, and Creole. Creole is one of the characters, and he encourages, in one very seminal uh, segment of the story, he really encourages Sonny emotionally and spiritually, and Sonny starts playing the most amazing piece. And I call my students, I tell them, I alert them, look, Call and response is going on here. And that is something that we cannot forget in the African-American tradition because there was a big attempt for the Africans that were kidnapped out of Africa to blunt their voices, to blunt any sense of their community. And Africans who were developing this new culture They came back strong with the culture they already had in Africa, which is, I tell my story, I encourage people, and somebody else responds. Somebody else is moved with the spirit to respond back. I showed that with Sonny's Blues. I showed that with Zora Neale Hurston's sweat when, when uh, the main character Delia goes to church and, and she hears this music and she is uplifted beyond belief. And so in comes this beautiful husband and wife team rap group, uh, Asia and Samir, and they're talking about call and response and how important it is in African cultures and in African-American cultures. It fit in beautifully. It fit in in such an amazing way, and and the students responded. The students had already studied it, but now here they were hearing it from somebody who's part of the artistic world. So, Anthony, to go back and, and answer your question, yes, I am a part of the administration. I do go to all of the committees, uh, the, the meetings, and I make suggestions, and I support artists that come in. And I, uh, when there is a call for classroom visits, I certainly agree. Uh, and I, I support my colleagues. I make suggestions during these meetings, and I try to my best to be there for all of them. Fantastic. So you mentioned... Uh Zora Neale Hurston. Yes. Um, did you know that they just uh, last two months released her another posthumous uh, work of hers called Barracoon? Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know if you had. Oh, oh my God! And if I'm not mistaken, Anthony, I believe it's about the last slave. Yes, her interviews with the last living slave. Yes. Yeah. yeah. O- okay. It is amazing. It is absolutely amazing. Like what she what she has written what she has come up with. I am very interested in that novel. 
I am, I am very interested in the fact that um, they also, even a few years back, they did a study on, um, there were university students who did a study on her lesser known works, and they also investigated how she actually has a lot of similarities with another phenomenal African-American writer by the name of Richard Wright, who unfortunately put her down tremendously. But these scholars and university students were looking at how much their beliefs actually intersected. And they were also looking at her little-known works. And I, and I felt this was a beautiful area of scholarship. And when I discovered there was yet another work of hers, I was amazed. I put it on my to-read list. So that's another piece of literature that I would be very interested in reading. Yeah, I we just have it, it was... here at the library. That's awesome. <laughs> we just ordered it not too long ago. And why would you know that? What? I'm acquisitions assistant. Yeah, there we awesome. go. That's why you know it. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing when you were two librarians. One brings it up and t- one out and one's like, yep, <laughs> already <minute>. done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> two <awesome>. snaps. <laughs> so um, I want to maybe turn the, the conversation more specific to your identity inside of being Arab. Is that, that cool? Yeah, sure. Great. So you um, mentioned Oak Lawn. Yes. And a lot of times in, in some of the interviews, I really want folks to understand the rich texture that's unique here. Um, yes. The Arab community has been in the southwest suburbs of Chicago for quite a number of couple of generations now, um, as well as the college started in 1967. So as much as the college has been here, there's been a vibrant Arab community yes. nearby. Yes. And um and you mentioning that at some point your family landed in Oak Lawn, one of those uh, southwestern suburbs. Right. I thought we launched from there. Okay. A yes. little bit, a little bit of your Oak Lawn life experience. And okay. So about my personal life, being being in Oak Lawn and, and being part of that that vibrant community that's been yeah part of at least connected into the MVCC um, was it district right. Okay, so Anthony, you want me to talk about Oaklawn per se, or Moraine Valley and the Arab community? I'm gonna step back and let you handle it. Okay. Wherever yeah, you're Yeah, I want to hear about your experience, like growing up in Oaklawn. All right. Wherever you want to start. <laughs> well. It has been interesting. Okay. Um, Was it welcoming? I need to go back to um, north side of Chicago first. Okay. Sure. And uh, that culture, when I was um, a child in the north side of Chicago, if ever you saw another Arab in the mall or in the grocery store, you walked up to them and you introduced yourself to them. And there was a sense that you always found family when your family met up with another family. You immediately were able to identify one another. Even, you know, you had your traditional uh, 
brown, black-haired, brown, black-eyed Arabs. But you knew, even if it was a blonde Arab and blue-eyed Arab, you knew from the features. So I have very fond memories of my parents walking up to other parents and introducing themselves and striking up a conversation. That lives in my mind as something very beautiful and very powerful. Um, I also need to go back, Anthony and Jehan, to even my younger years. I grew up listening to music. You know, at the age of a baby, two, you know, one, two, three years old, this music is still in my mind. This music defines my identity as an Arab. Uh, the sorrow of my people and is also a part of me, and it has continued. So when, when we came here to Chicago, meeting all of these Arabs, my family visiting their family, having a group of cluster of, of friends who were Arab, and my father playing volleyball with them, and my mom also gathering together with the Arabic ladies and having a great conversation. There was a beautiful sense of community which was absolutely like amazing. I strongly believe these memories stay in your mind. No matter how much you go on in life, your mind really selects what it focuses on. So when we came here to Oaklawn, uh, there was this incredibly lovely uh, Jordanian husband and wife team with their little daughter. And they came up to us. So it was the north side of Chicago once again. And they made Oaklawn very warm and very welcoming once again. Unfortunately, uh, they had to leave. They, they wanted their daughter to grow up. Unfortunately for us, but fortunate for them. But they wanted their daughter to grow up with a very strong Jordanian Christian culture. So they up and, and left with her, and we miss them to this day. But what we have right now in Oaklawn is I live in a very beautiful community made up of Yemeni Arabs, made up of Jordanian Arabs, made up of Palestinian Arabs, made up of Polish people, made up of different people. Oh, Puerto Ricans. So my block in Oaklawn is very diverse, ethnically diverse. It's very warm-hearted. It is beautiful. What do I also love about this area? It has the restaurants. So this Ramadan, I chanced to visit El Basha restaurant during iftar or breaking the fast time. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. It was as if I were in Jerusalem once again. Uh, the people were, they brought soul with them. They brought spirituality with them. They all politely stood together around the buffet with their plates. And the food, the food in El Besha, I want to tell you, it's as if somebody cooked it for their home. And that's what I love about it. So I love that El Besha brought a little piece of Jerusalem back with him. I love that the people, whether they came from uh, Palestinian, Syrian, Jordanian origin, they brought a piece of home with them, and, and I love that. So I love the beautiful ethnic mix. I love that when I am sitting at home, 
we have a grapevine at home. And back home is packed with grapevines because we make a grape leaf dish and we stuff it with, with rice and meat. So I love it when I'm sitting back home and a woman dressed in Arabic Muslim clothing with a scarf, a hijab on her head, just sees it and walks up uh, to my um, back porch and starts looking at the grapevines and the grapes. And it's amazing that here in Oaklawn, we brought a piece of home back with us. Wow. That was beautiful. So you mentioned Ramadan. Are we actually recording on the end? Ramadan ends today, doesn't it? Today's Eid. Today is the holiday. Yes. Tell us a little bit about the holiday. Okay. So what, what Muslims have been doing for the last 30 days is they have been fasting. And the fast, uh, the last day of Ramadan was yesterday. And the fast ended at 8.28 sharp. Okay. And Muslims have been fasting the whole day. They abstained, they've been abstaining from food and drink. And the purpose, the ultimate purpose is, this is a gift from you, from the faithful to God. This is something that you cannot hide away from, you cannot hide from God. You are giving of yourself to God. It's a very, very important piece of uh, worship that you give back to God. One of the wisdoms that you gain from Ramadan is compassion. So you learn to understand people who are less fortunate than you are. People who go hungry for days and days. At least for the person who gets to break the fast in the evening, at least this person has the food. So you start wondering and you start thinking of other people as well, too. You also learn to control yourself better. You also learn that a lot of, or at least a significant portion of human dilemmas come from their way of thinking and come from dwelling on particular problems. So what Ramadan does is it takes two significant things away from us, food and even most importantly, drink. But if you can, and this is something that I learned a bit later on in life, if you can, try not to dwell on the lack that is in your life. You really can push yourself to make life not easy, but easier. Not completely bearable, but a bit more bearable to yourself. Ramadan is one of the best times in my life. I, uh, like a lot of people, I mourn that it is gone. There is a special soulfulness and spirituality about it that you don't feel at any other time of the year. It's hard for me, and it's hard for a lot of Muslims to describe that spiritual closeness. It's not... It's not just that you're abstaining from food and water. These items become very symbolic, and your body does respond to them. Your body does feel the fatigue, but it also shows you, and it shows the millions of us out there, that I can do it, and not only I, but other human beings are far more stronger than they thought they ever were. And that's why I love it. Wow. I feel uplifted already. Right, I'm listening to them like, wow, I didn't know that. 
And you uh, inside of your sharing, you can almost you can feel both. Not only you're always authentic, the authenticity, but the the uh, you lifted up the spirit of the room just inside of the way you shared it and your commitment and your dedication to it. I just wanted to share that part of it. Thank you so much, Jan and Anthony. So turning one more, turning the knob a little bit to the left again, um, maybe guiding a conversation toward Arab identity. Yeah. So in. and I've done some research as a scholar inside of cultural identity and development of it, both socially, politically, inside of all of the ways identities are constructed. Um, Moraine has a large yes. student population here, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Yes. And um, over the years, how have you have you seen any evolving? What are your observation about not only being from the community at an early age, but now? working at a school that has a large population of Arab students. Okay. So what have my observations been, right? Those you want to share. Those that I want to <laughs> share. Okay. <laughs> what my observations are, um, For the past few years, I have seen uh, a healthy, a healthy understanding coming from my students of where they come from and what their cultural roots are. Whether these students are Arab, uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry, Arab Muslim or Arab Christian. I uh, am particularly thinking of one uh, Arab Christian uh, young girl who has shared a lot about her family background and her cultural background, and I was always so proud of her, proud of how much uh, she took non-Western literature and African-American literature with me, and she would always share with complete honesty what life is like back home, what the culture is like. Last um, Two semesters ago, in fall of 2017, we read a book uh, by an Iraqi author, and she would stop in and she would explain the culture and to students who might have missed, you know, the subtle nuances of that short story. And I was especially proud of her, especially proud of the fact that she is embracing both her Arab, her Christian, her American identity in such a very healthy way. There is a strong peace between all of these aspects of her life. As time has gone on at Moraine Valley, at least from what I see in my classes, I see students um, who are comfortable with, I'm gonna now speak for the other side, uh, the Arab Muslim community. I see students who are also very comfortable as well, too, embracing Arab, Muslim, American identity. So that has been very interesting to also take a look at. And I observe it by the way that they're comfortable, very comfortable with their hijab, very comfortable with their faith very comfortable with embracing 
the faith and very comfortable with being part of the culture. This has been very interesting as well, too. There are also the Arab students who uh, have different faiths or no faith. And I also have seen a comfort with that. Can I say that in 2005, I would notice this? Not really, not really. There was a bit of a struggle a little bit earlier on, and it was sad. It was, it was quite sad. Trying to embrace the Arab Muslim and the American was rather, was rather something that I could see. It, it was rather tough. Uh, trying to embrace the Arab, you know, lack of strong faith in American, you know, was also, there was a war, there was a war going on, not with all students, but I sensed it with a few. As time has gone on, I do feel more of a sense of, I'm going to make my own world, no matter what the world looks at me, I'm going to create my own home in this world where I can be comfortable. And so I do see students participating. I do see students trying their best and excelling. For me, when they try their best and they're excelling, it tells me a lot that they are trying to create a sense of peace and comfort for themselves in their surroundings. The best part about working with Amani Wazwaz of Moraine Valley is the exuberance that she brings to the classroom and her just, just pure joy and authenticity at working with students. This episode of MVCC POV was produced and edited by AWD PhD with music by Lakey Inspired. Thanks to the MVCC Library for supporting the podcast.